Good morning, saints. So I invite you to turn or scroll to Colossians chapter 2. We have just completed the introductory section of Paul's letter to the Colossians. He comes out swinging with a staggering Christology. That is a teaching on who Jesus Christ is. He paints a true and an accurate picture of the one who was that he previously derided and persecuted. Jesus is glorious. He is majestic. He is our creator God. He sustains everything we see by the word of his power. He laid down his life for us. He shed his innocent blood for us. He reconciled us to God through his own bloody body, which was pinned to a Roman cross. Having given us this soaring view of who Jesus Christ truly is. Now the rubber meets the road, as we say. Think of it this way. A person who is training to be a pilot at some point needs to actually step into the cockpit, hopefully with a trainer, and take off from the runway. An aspiring musician will one day step onto a stage perhaps and perform. Before an athlete plays before a crowd, there are months if not years of conditioning and practice and training. So it is with the Christian. Theology, the study of God is not just for the super spiritual. It is for all of us. Paul puts it and makes it accessible for every single Christian to know who God is, to know why Christ came, to know why he died on the cross and rose again and what it means to believe in him and what it means to live for him. In order to thrive and flourish in our walk with Christ, we must be grounded in the truth. We need to learn a new way of life, one that pleases God and is in accordance with his word. In addition, we need to know who we truly are in Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now that he's given us a true picture of Jesus, the captain of our salvation, he is now going to make a natural yet profound statement. This statement I would propose to you is the Christian life in a nutshell. You can sum up the entire letter with this statement. Also, you can kind of sum up most of the New Testament with this statement pertaining to the individual believer. So let's read it. Colossians chapter 2. 
verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, verse 6 again, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You have come to Jesus. You believe in him. You are trusting in him for your eternity. The person who saves you is also king. Live your life accordingly. We do not have a weak or anemic savior. Jesus is everywhere in the New Testament affirmed as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit's emphasis here is let your walk match your talk. Let your life follow from your confession. Model your life accordingly. Walk by faith under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's where Paul begins in this most crucial statement in the letter. Everything that you know about Jesus is not meant to merely reside in your head as head knowledge. It is designed to govern your life, your choices, and not just a part of your life, but all of your life. Your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, your actions... Every single day and not just on Sunday. I think we in America have a special proclivity in this area. We somehow think that obedience is a good thing, but only perhaps for a select few. Or the misguided and unbiblical view that discipleship following Christ is an optional tack on only for the special Christians. Whether or not we obey Jesus, essentially, can be viewed as a second step and only if we want it. Paul makes it crystal clear that this is not the case. Paul wants us to walk with Jesus in the same way that we received him at the beginning for our salvation by faith as our Savior and Lord. Jesus himself highlighted this when he said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? There's an incongruence there. Don't call me something and then do something else. He was putting his finger on something that is very important for his listeners. Don't call me your Lord and not conjoin that with obedience as you follow me. So here's the important part. 
when he tells us to walk it out, he is specific in regards to what this looks like. He does not say walk or live any way that you like or how it hits you in the moment. What you're feeling today. Do you remember the majestic passage earlier in the letter about who Jesus is? His comments here flow from those very words. Jesus is Lord. He is God in human flesh. He is our creator and he reconciled us to God at the cross. Now he says, knowing fully who Jesus is, walk with him. Live your life accordingly. Live your life in reverence and awe as to who he is. Do not be lazy or neglectful. And not love those around you. But rather, Paul told the Romans, be red hot in your service to the Lord. Do not compromise with sexual immorality or shady ethics, but live righteously. But also, live with the confidence That your Savior is Lord of all. You can trust Him. Let me say that again. You can trust Him every moment of every day and in absolutely every situation. You can serve Him with great Joy, knowing what is ahead for us because of what he has done and accomplished at Calvary. Do you remember what Jesus said? Or do you remember when Jesus said to make disciples and to teach them all things that I, Jesus, have commanded? To walk with Jesus includes to be firmly grounded in the truth and firmly grounded in the way of Jesus. So let's start here. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This is Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 31. I will highlight these verses from time to time because they are absolutely crucial and particularly in our generation. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, verse 31, if you abide in my word, abide means to continue. If you abide in my word, you are truly my Disciples. Do you see how that is tied together? 
You are truly my disciple, my follower, when you follow what I say. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is the way of Jesus. What are things that Jesus commanded that he taught us? Here's one. It's a big one. It's an obvious one. We talk about it often. Jesus said to love your neighbor. He taught us to love others well. It's a way of life. Let's remember a very important parable that Jesus taught. The religious leaders at the time were so far removed from not only the truth, but the heart of God. And a lawyer tried to stump Jesus and he said, well, who is my neighbor? It's, honestly, it's a dumb question. But who, who is my neighbor? I mean, who is it that I have to live? Because I want to follow the law to the T. So I need to know who do I need to love? Again, from the beginning, it's a dumb question. So Jesus told a story. There was a man who set forth on a journey. He set forth from Jerusalem to travel to Jericho. That road was a perilous road. It was full of danger. It was known to have robbers and thieves and thugs and so forth on that road. So he set forth on that road. And as he traveled, indeed, he was mugged. Beaten up, taken out, stripped, and left for half dead. Now, thankfully, there was a priest who came. You see, the priest was the man of God. Of all people, the priest would stop and render aid to this man who was in trouble. You likely know the answer to this question, did he? No, he did not. But not only did he not render aid, not only was he too busy, because he may, might have had religious duties to perform. He couldn't be bothered with someone half dead on the road. My goodness, I'm serving God. I need to get to where I need to be. But he actually, actually walked as far away as possible as he could from said individual, perhaps to not be ceremonially unclean because there was blood on the road before he served God. And there's our man. He's still beaten up and he's struggling to take his next breath. Well, the priest is out of the way. Thankfully, there's now another religious leader, a Levite. Surely, he will render aid. Does he? He does the exact same thing that the priest does. Jesus now flips the cultural narrative on its head. On next comes another guy. 
He's a Samaritan. If you don't know, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. A Samaritan was essentially a half-Jew from the, um, what you call it, in Assyria, the um, exile, thank you. Uh, in, in Syria, they were kind of a mixed Jew and Gentile. So the Jews couldn't really figure out who they hated the most, the Gentiles or the Samaritans. But along comes a Samaritan. And he sees this man on the road. And he immediately stops. He renders aid. <coughs> Excuse me. He takes care of him. <coughs> and we will continue this message. He renders aid. He loads him up and he takes him to the nearest place where he can get help. <clears throat> and he makes sure that he's taken care of before he leaves. Why is this such a hard hitting story? For the Jews and surely the religious leaders to hear. Because they always presumed that they were the heroes. Jesus revealed their heart. And he showed that they were not. Is it any wonder why sometimes they tried to chase him off a cliff or stone him or do whatever they could to get rid of him? You see, the, religion, the religious leaders made every excuse in their mind why not to do the very thing that is so close to God's heart. They just kept on walking. It was the Samaritan man, a non-Jew, a non-religious leader, who did what is clearly the common sense thing to do, but that which is the most near and dear to the heart of Jesus. He helped him. So in answer to the stupid question that was asked. Jesus said your neighbor is the one who's right in front of your nose. No matter if they look like you. No matter if they believe what you believe. No matter who they are. That is your neighbor. That is whom God has put in your place in the moment. And he said, go and do likewise. But before we leave this, I would like to say a few things. Four things. The way of Jesus loving people. Number one, if you're going to love your neighbor, if you're going to love people well, first of all, know that you might be different than the people that you're going to help. They, your neighbor is not just your close little, close-knit group of friends who think like you, who act like you, who agree with you on everything. That is not, they might be your neighbor, but that's not the extent of who your neighbor is. Second, prepare to be disrupted. When you love people, prepare to be disrupted. Did you know that the majority of the miracles that Jesus performed were 
actually interruptions. People like me, I have my list, my mental list. I like to accomplish certain things. I'm very task-driven in that regard. It is hard sometimes to be disrupted. Be prepared to use your resources. Note that the good Samaritan, as we call him, did not merely render aid. He did not merely take him to where he could get help. He actually reached into his pocket and he said, here's some money. Whatever he needs, you put it to my account. This may or may not apply to us in every situation. But remember, of all the people in this story... If there's anyone who had a quasi-legit reason to keep on walking, it would be the Samaritan. Because in those parts, they didn't like Samaritans. It was perhaps better for him, more well advised for him, to just keep on moving. Friends, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus as Lord... Is to love people well. To love fiercely. Consistently. And not just in word. Or when it is convenient for us. This is the way of Jesus. Turn to the end almost of your Bible. Jude. You got to be careful with Jude. There's only one chapter. You flip too quickly. Bam. You're already in Revelation. So you want to avoid that. Jude has some good things to say. Listen to what Jude says, beginning in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend... For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of of God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. If we are rooted, going back to this thought of being rooted and grounded in our faith, there's something we need to know about our faith. Jude tells us to contend earnestly for the faith. It is a very interesting construct in the original Greek. Faith is the noun. Everything else describes the noun. He says, contend earnestly for the, literally, once for all Delivered to the saints faith. He says there will be lots of people who will come in and try to teach you contrary to the faith. They will teach you doctrines of demons. They will try to pull you away. Now listen, following Jesus is not based on our feelings. It must be rooted and grounded in the truth. We are not all of a sudden going to discover something in our generation or in another generation that has been previously unknown in the past. 
We do well to know how our predecessors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the faith, have conducted themselves through the centuries. One more, I invite you to turn to your left now to Ephesians chapter 3. This is a tremendous apostolic prayer for the Ephesians, for the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, to be strengthened with power through, through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is his aim. That Christ would feel comfortable in your heart as we say. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. Do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Reflect long and hard and every day on the love that God has for you. The love that God showed you at Calvary to be specific. That love is unconditional. Notice he says... Notice he says, he's praying that you would know God's love for you. P.S. You can't ever know God's full love for you. It's like this beautiful well that never dries up. You never get to the bottom of it. It gives you what you need every single day. We are rooted and established in love in the same way the scripture says that we are grounded and rooted in the truth. We find our security and our confidence in the great love that God has for us. And that as a, as a result of that firm foundation. Now listen, we are free to love other people with the love that God has shown us. Remember how that ends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we see that, the love, that love and truth go hand in hand. We stand on the truth of God's word. We do not depart from it. 
We do not normalize sin, but we walk in truth and in righteousness, and we are known as people who love well. When I think of being rooted and established in love, in the truth, I think I skipped over a few verses, a few pictures prior of Collins. Every Tuesday afternoon, I would swing by the Stites house so we could have personal study, me and Collins, one-on-one together. Doug would often join us. I mean, it's, it's his house, right? Um, I think there's a couple other slides. This was in the height of COVID, so we moved it outside. That's why we're outside. I was getting a little hot. Collins would get a little cold, but that's, that's the difference between him and me. Do you see the joy in his face? He wanted more of Christ. He wanted to know his word. But he did such a wonderful and beautiful job of not allowing it to stay up here like a mental exercise. He lived it. He lived it. One final truth. Christians follow the truth. We walk in it. We love people well because we have experienced God's love. There's one other element to speak of here that Paul references in our, in our section, and that is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is something that sets Christians apart from everyone else. We Christians know, we know how it all ends. We have hope even in sorrow. When people mistreat us, we return love for insult. Yes, Jesus rode in on a donkey and he was later killed, but that was God's plan. Jesus' suffering was the plan all along so that we could be forgiven and adopted into God's family. And Peter tells us, Jesus tells us, be prepared to do likewise. My dear friends, remind yourself over and over and over and over and over again how deeply God loves you. How Jesus took the beatings for you at the cross. How you are reconciled to God. How heaven awaits you. Let the joy of the Lord control and help you every single day as you walk with him. These are some of the last texts that I received from Collins. It was his last week. Grateful heart. Grateful heart. In fact, that was the very last thing that he whispered to him before he could whisper to me before he could speak no longer. He brought his hands to his chest. Grateful heart. In this text, he asked specifically how my family was doing. You can read it. Greetings, Pastor Colin. I thank the Lord for life. The Lord has been gracious and merciful to me. How are you and your family? Always other-centered, always. 
I hope you had a good day. Be thankful, friends, for everything you have. Walk in God's truth. Don't deviate it from it. From it, and love people free, fiercely. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. We praise you because you upheld your holiness and your justice. You did not ignore our sin, but the Lord Jesus absorbed your wrath on the cross. May that work in us and grow within us a profound gratitude. As John, the Apostle John tells us, we know and rely on the love that you have for us. Oh Lord, make us more like Christ. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us every day to say yes to Jesus even in the smallest matters. To ground ourselves upon your truth and your love. To be thankful, thankful in all things because of who we are in Christ. We thank you for the Simplicity and the power of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If there is but one person who has not put their faith in Jesus, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.